Welcome to the Weight Solutions for Physicians podcast, the podcast that helps you find solutions for your weight concerns that will last a lifetime. You've got this. This podcast contains general educational information on weight loss for physicians. I am not providing medical advice and listening to this podcast does not create a physician-patient relationship. This podcast does not replace the need for consultation with a licensed professional and no information should be relied upon unless you have obtained specific advice or treatment from myself or another physician. Please review the terms and conditions located at www.weightsolutionsforphysicians.ca before continuing. Welcome to episode 124 of the Weight Solutions for Physicians podcast. I'm your host, Siobhan Key. Thank you so much for joining me. I have a really exciting episode for you guys today. I think this is going to be a very helpful episode for a lot of you who struggle with overeating or binge eating. Today, I'm joined by two physicians who also do obesity medicine and who happen to have a history of binge eating. And what they're sharing with you today is their experience of having binge eating as a physician what that's been like for them, and what tools they have used and continue to use to manage their binge eating. When we talk about binge eating, there is a whole lot of shame and self-blame included in it. It's a hallmark of the actual diagnosis of binge eating disorder. And as a physician, I think sometimes that can be even more because there's that thought that we should have fixed it or we should know better because we're physicians. But the reality is it has nothing to do with medical knowledge. And as you'll hear in today's conversation, there's nothing about binge eating or binge eating disorder that has really anything to do with what you know or don't know. It's an emotional response. It's binge eating is your brain's working on solving a discomfort. And at some point in your life, if this is you, it's attached eating as a solution to the discomfort. And so it really has nothing to do with knowing what or what not to eat. And what I hope for any of you listening who have binge eating and feel that sense of isolation and that sense of shame that's so common with it, is I'm hoping by hearing Jen and Andrea's stories and hearing them discuss their experiences, that it'll make it easier for you to give yourself some compassion and maybe make it easier for you to work on it and and find some freedom and find some empowerment where you feel that you can have control over this and you can take care of yourself and manage your binge eating and that you don't have to be perfect in doing it. Because I think that from working with a lot of physicians, that expectation, even in things like binge eating, that we should be perfect when we're trying to fix them is just not a helpful expectation at all. So I really hope that you guys enjoy this episode and that you find it helpful. And I really want to say that I'm very thankful for Jen and Andrea, not only taking the time to be interviewed for this, but being willing to speak openly about something that is very vulnerable and can be very difficult to speak openly. And I hope that through them being able to speak of their own experiences, it will help make your journey easier. Now, before we get into the interview, I just wanted to let you know that the doors to Stress Eating SOS are opening up this week. So the the April group of Stress Eating SOS, the only program that's exclusively for physicians who stress or binge eat, 
are opening April 1st. And over this past group, I've added in specific binge eating coaching sessions. So if this episode resonates with you and it's something that you want help with, I can help you with it. And Stress Eating SOS is the place to get that help. I've added in specific coaching sessions for physicians who binge eat. We run them a little bit differently than the other coaching sessions. And I'm also planning on adding in, uh, in this coming group, some more binge eating specific content. So if you really want help and to understand it better, Stress Eating SOS is going to give that to you. So get on the wait list, weightsolutionsforphysicians.ca forward slash SOS. That's weightsolutionsforphysicians.ca forward slash SOS. If you get on the wait list this week, there is a free coaching session that I'm going to be offering for anybody on the wait list so that you can try it out. It's happening this week. So get on the wait list as soon as you can if you want to take advantage of that. All right, let's get to the interview. All right. Welcome to the show, Jen and Andrea. I'm so excited to have you guys here. I think this is going to be such an important episode. And as you know, we've been planning it for quite a while. So let's start with you introducing yourself. How about you go first, Andrea? Sure. I'm Andrea. I'm an internal medicine physician trained that way. And then also ABOM or so obesity medicine certified as well. I used to be a hospitalist, and then I did primary care, and now I do only telehealth with obesity medicine. And Jen, how about you? My name is Jen. I'm internal medicine and obesity medicine board certified. I, as well, was a hospitalist and now practice primary care, but will be transitioning fully into obesity medicine in a few months. And so I asked you both to come on in this panel style discussion to talk about what it's like to be a physician who has binge eating disorder. And I think this is such an important thing because as you guys know, going through medical school and stuff, binge eating disorder was not taught. Like it's covered in our obesity medicine training, but it's not even covered in a ton of detail in that. And so I really wanted you guys to have the opportunity to kind of talk about your journeys and what it's been like for you as a physician and in obesity medicine, working on your own binge eating. So my eating issues kind of started probably when I was like 16, when I was very thin and had primary amenorrhea because I was a distance runner. And then I was put on birth control pills, which made me gain like 20 pounds in about two or three months. And that kind of is what precipitated the body image issues and the loss of control. And then off and on over the past 30 years or so, I've had sometimes more food issues. Sometimes it's been under good control. Sometimes not much of an issue at all. But it's really been a very long-standing thing that I've struggled with. And I think it was mostly when I started doing the obesity medicine training And I had been on a medication that actually really helped with cravings, but it really affected my memory. And so when I was studying for my boards, I could not focus or have any recall. So I ended up having to stop the medication. And in doing so, I gained probably 10 pounds studying for my obesity medicine boards, which was kind of ironic. But then it was around that time where I just thought, this is crazy. I'm going to be teaching and helping people with their issues with eating, and I can't even get this figured out myself. And so just a lot of feelings of shame, feeling like a hypocrite, just these struggles where I just felt like this is so much of my brain energy 
into this. And that's kind of when I heard about you, Shaban, on another podcast when you were talking. And that's where I found you because it was, you know, so many of these other things that we learn in obesity medicine, it really has to do with which foods to eat and exercise. And I knew all that. I was eating because I was not hungry. It was these binges that, and it wasn't just overeating, you know, it was like full on binge eating. So this compulsive loss of control. And that's when I was like, okay, I need to get this sorted out. So that was about a year ago. How about you, Jen? I think my issues with food started very, very early. As a child, I remember turning to food for really any emotion, happiness, sadness, celebration. It was very central to family life. And then I remember like age 11, a primary care doctor telling me that, or telling my parents, I guess at the time that I needed to lose about seven to 10 pounds. And I went on a diet with my mom. And I think that was the first time that I felt any awareness about my body and awareness about food. And I think that was the beginning of kind of an unpleasant relationship or love-hate relationship with food. And then through different stressors in my life, I turned to food for comfort and it became very central to who I was. And, you know, with, with binge eating disorder, there, Andrea talks about that loss of control and that's very central to it. And there's a lot of shame in it as well. I tried many different solutions, but solutions for binge eating are really related to diet to changing your diet and movement. And as Andrea echoed the same thing that I knew all of that, but couldn't get myself to do it, couldn't get myself to be adherent to what I knew. And it causes this cognitive dissonance because you know better or you think you should know better as a physician, but why can't you get yourself to do what you know you should do to take good care of yourself? And then I found Shaban back in 2019. And I think my journey took this really dramatic turn of self-discovery, as cheesy as it sounds. But I learned that I could really observe myself, observe my patterns, and it removed that helplessness that you feel from that loss of control. And I realized I was always going to be in control as long as I realized what the triggers were, what food served me best, what kind of self-care routine would help me best. And how I could essentially just go through life the way I wanted to by just really, really turning this observation into action consistently. And I think being in obesity medicine, you know, we've done a lot of work together over what is your identity as a person who has struggled with binging and struggled with emotional eating in this field. And I feel that I'm uniquely qualified to do it because I have struggled and because I have had issues with weight. And I no longer look at my weight as it's not shame that I'm wearing on my body now. It's not a coat of armor. It's, it's just who I am. You know, the work that I've done with you has really empowered me to be able to teach this work and share it and use it for patients and use it for friends and just spread the word that you can change. Yeah. And I think, you know, you both spoke to that being initially in obesity medicine and having that feeling of, okay, why can't I actually figure this piece out? I have a vivid memory of walking into my first Obesity Medicine Association conference and I literally felt I was the biggest person in the room. I probably wasn't, but you know, like it's a room of like a thousand people or whatever. They're huge, right? And I walked in and I was pretty sure every single person was staring at me because I hadn't figured out my own weight. 
it's interesting looking back now on that way of thinking, but I think it's really common. Like we, you know, think, okay, I've got all this medical knowledge. I know this science. For me, it was why am I still going through the drive-thru when I know all of this stuff, right? So if anybody's listening and is struggling with that, like if you can let go of that one piece, like give yourself the grace that it's okay if you haven't figured it out yet, even if you have all this scientific knowledge, and that's true for any physician, that one thing can make such a difference. Like my experience as being a physician who like overate and stress ate and had lots of extra weight. Do you think being a physician who was doing obesity medicine and had binge eating, is that different? Like what was that experience like for you guys? I think it was very, very difficult in the beginning. And I've had periods where I've had some regain and have done a lot of work on it. I think What I tell my patients is what I end up telling myself, which is that self-compassion is so key. And if you if you don't have that compassion for yourself, you don't forgive yourself for your missteps, you're not going to learn from them. Because I'm able now at this point to express that humanity. I'm a human being. There are days when, you know, cravings or emotions get the best of me, but I just get up and begin again or continue. I think it makes me enjoy my job even more that I've accepted my humanity. But yes, it was very hard. It was very, very hard in the beginning because I knew all of the right things to say to my patients, but I felt that I was wearing that failure, wearing it on my body. Being overweight is essentially wearing your disease because everybody can see it. So it's like my feeling of walking in that conference room and having everybody my, in my mind stare at me because of my weight. Exactly. Your feeling was like every time you're seeing a patient that they were kind of staring at you and wondering what was up. Absolutely. Yeah, I do think it was very isolating. And so even when I met with you the first few times, Siobhan, I was just so embarrassed. Even just you and me one-on-one, nobody else. But then even being in some of the groups that you were in, like I think... I was in your first SOS, like that was so empowering just to see, wow, I'm not the only one. And it wasn't necessarily related to binge eating, but it was just seeing, okay, lots of people have these issues and, you know, it's not necessarily our fault. It has to do with the diet industry, the foods, just our brains, our urges, but being able to learn tools, how to have an episode and not make it mean what it used to, you know, be able to move on from there and keep going. And also not thinking, okay, every time I have a binge, I'm starting over at square one. You know, it's like, I've got all these tools and I'm still changing my brain and I'm much farther ahead than I was when I started. And that was really helpful as well. I think that's a really good point. And I think that happens to anybody when with binging or even just like overeating where you think, oh, I've come this far and now look at me. Like if you feel like you quote unquote fell off the wagon, look, I lost it all. But if you can see what you're talking about, Andrea, that you didn't lose anything, you just stumbled or had a binge, it's so much easier to recover from. I think the paradigm, you know, the lens with which you look at your habits and your life is really important. Do you think of this as, you know, and I won't get into the medical component of it, but it's really, how do you view what you're doing? Is it a habit of binge eating or emotional overeating, whatever you want to call it? And if you look at it as a habit, 
that's in response to some sort of stimulus or some sort of trigger, it really helps empower you to figure out, okay, let me back up a little bit. This is not about the food. This is about the thought that I'm having, the reaction I'm having to a certain circumstance. And let me reel that in and let me recognize what that trigger is so I can create a pause and go down a different pathway. And I think as Siobhan has taught so well for me over the last year plus is that she can say, well, hey, this is just what you do. This is the cycle. It lightens it so much so that I can move past that cycle and just get back to normal, healthy eating, exercising, not feeling as bad when there's a misstep. Yeah. And I think also, Siobhan, it was helpful because I feel like it was such an automatic thing for so long that I didn't even have the awareness of like, oh, this is a trigger and I'm going to binge. It was just like, yeah, the urge act on it. And it was just such an automatic thing that I learned how to go like through after the fact, okay, let me go back and figure out what was going on. And so then you and I could do that a little bit like, okay, I think this is probably what it was. And so now I at least have the awareness, like, Mine is kind of my sneaky little thoughts that I kind of have. And so some of them I've identified are like, I'll just have a little bit more. And that was one that I realized is a big deal. And so now whenever I catch myself thinking that, I can realize, wait a second, that's just an urge. I can just wait and start to process that. Whereas, like I said at first, it was just such an automatic thing that I didn't even have the awareness. So now just being able to slow down and start allowing the urges processing. And I remember I had to contact you and say, I need help allowing urges because I was so terrified of how they were going to feel. And it's like I had to contact you after every one for the first 10 or so. And that was really what helped get me into the pattern of like, okay, I can allow these. And so just having that support was really helpful too. I think, you know, that's a really interesting thing to talk about too, is like when that fear of experiencing the craving right? Because really that's the core of a binge eating episode is that the experience of the craving unmet, like not eating, is going to be really bad in some way. I often talk about this being, you know, when you start counting for your kids, like the one, two, and they do something, even though you never tell them what the consequence is going to be, like the threat of not actually knowing the consequence is worse. I think of these cravings as that of like it's that feeling of something bad is going to happen and yet your brain never tells you the bad it's just like oh it's gonna be bad you really just need to just eat or else it's gonna be bad yeah I think that was huge so eventually when I started sitting through those I was almost a little annoyed because I was like I've been having this issue for so long and all I had was three minutes of like feeling like a little bit of a pressure in my chest. And that was it. Like, you know, I'm thinking that it was going to be this horrible thing. And it turns out it really wasn't nearly as unmanageable as I thought it was going to be. I think what's interesting in this work too, is understanding that different foods were going to cause me to have more of those urges. I always share this with patients and I say, nothing's gone wrong that you've had a long day and it's Friday night and you want a pizza. So let's plan for that. You know, what can you do to make sure that your fatigue from the week on Friday night doesn't translate into something you don't want it to translate into? Just realizing that expecting that 
those urges and my brain to offer me those signals for wanting to eat off of my plan at certain predictable times, that was just so helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just recognizing the actual urge itself is just totally normal brain behavior. I find anytime I can put stuff into like, it's just biology, it dials so many things down, right? Because often when we experience the urge and we have the craving to eat, we think something's wrong with us, that we did something wrong or something defective in how our brain approaches food and like all these different stories. And it doesn't help. It makes you want to eat more because there's something inherently broken, right? Andrea, you mentioned sneaky thoughts, and I think this would be a great thing to talk about because they are sneaky and they seem so, so truthful and so like matter of fact when your brain offers the different thoughts, like just have a little more. Yeah. What other thoughts have you guys noticed as your sneaky thoughts that you need to just watch for and purposefully not believe when your brain offers them? So some of my other ones that I've come up with are like, it's not a big deal. It's just a little bit. You know, that's one that really creeps in. And I believe them. They're so believable and so true to me. Like, it's not a big deal. I'll just have a little more. It's not. It's totally a lie. It's, you know, my brain trying to get me to have a little bit more. And it never is just a little bit more. It's a whole lot more. How about you, Jen? Absolutely. That's a famous one for my brain to offer. To just have one slice of bread. Just have a little more of this. It's okay if you have that little piece of your kid's sandwich. Yes, to just a little more is a very sneaky thought. My brain likes to have, you know, or going back to that kind of binge restrict cycle, like you've been really good. You can do X, Y, and Z. And I think just knowing those really helps say, okay, you know, (laughs) it's just slow down and realize that that's another way of presenting an urge. It's interesting, on my way to work yesterday, I was listening to a recording of an obesity medicine is from the last spring conference that I'd never gotten around to listening to. But it was a motivational interviewing talk, and he had a persona for the different levels of the appetite. And it's really interesting because he used these examples exactly, right? So you can have a little bit more, you know, it's been a tough day, you deserve it, you've been really good, you deserve it, as like those little thoughts that are meant to get past so that the urge stays subconscious. And what it takes is essentially your prefrontal cortex being on alert so that it doesn't actually believe those thoughts and it can notice them instead of like just letting them through on autopilot, basically. It was an interesting approach and way of describing what we all experience that I think it's the taking it off autopilot, not buying all of it. The other one would be just this one time too, right? It's just one. It's just one day. It'll be fine tomorrow. (laughs) That's one of mine that sneaks in there. Also, you know, once you've had something that you hadn't planned to have, I don't know exactly what the thought is, but it's something like, what else can we have? You know, (laughs) so that's a sneaky one that comes in and makes you stand there in front of the pantry and search. But it's nice to be able to recognize that one. And the analogy I give patients and I use myself is like, if you're driving on a two lane highway, and you drive in the middle into the other lane, you don't stay there and allow yourself to crash, you just veer back into your lane and stay safe. That's kind of recognizing that thought and just closing the pantry door, (laughs) making yourself some tea or water and just moving on. 
Yeah. And I think a big piece of that one too is not letting yourself go into the shame of what's already been eaten, no matter how much that is, right? Like no matter how much you've already eaten, how much of a binge it's been, staying out of the shame that then will let you kind of close the pantry, move on. You can't understate that enough is that shame that we get into after we've eaten. It triggers more eating, like it holds you there. Do you have ways that you work on managing that after having eaten something? I do use some of the the mantras that you've shared, but one is like, well, of course my brain suggested and thought this is a good idea. It really is trying to help me, you know, just thinking like that. Another one is I'm still figuring this out, which has been super helpful. Yeah, those are two of the main ones that I use a lot. I use the phrase, I made a choice and later today I'm going to be making a different choice or whatever the time frame is. And just keeping those food choices really neutral, I think helps remove the shame and allows me to move into action. And just, it kind of takes the heaviness away from whatever choice I've made or decided for the day. Yeah, I've used that one too. Like, I'm an adult, I can make choices. And I made a choice. And it just does make it really neutral. Jen, one of the things when you're talking about the lane, like driving, it reminded me of another analogy. I must have heard it on one podcast, but it was the toothbrush, you know, like brushing your teeth. So that's a habit that you do every day. And if for some reason you miss it, you don't make it mean like, oh, I can't believe I'm ever going to do this. You know, I'm never going to be able to brush my teeth every day. And then you just stop brushing your teeth. We don't. We're just like, I missed a day. I keep brushing. It's because we just don't make it mean anything. Whereas we put so much meaning into this one eating off plan or binge, you know, that's what kind of keeps us spiraling out of control. Yeah, I think that's a great analogy. Because really, if you realize you didn't brush your teeth, not only don't you get like into shame about it, but you actually seek out an opportunity to go correct it, right? <laughs> like you're like, okay, I need to go find a toothbrush. Yeah. <laughs> Especially in this day and age where you're wearing a mask. <laughs> you're like, this needs to be fixed. With both of you, we've talked a bit about like identity, right? Like, so the identity of being somebody who has binge eating how has that changed or how have you needed to change that over the years? I think that identity is something that I won't say I accepted it, but I think my view of that identity has changed. It I used to think of it as being a place of powerlessness and fear and shame and wanting to hide it. Um, now I think it's just part of my history. It's part of who I am. You know, as I said, just kind of helps me do the work that I do every single day. And I think acknowledging it has allowed me to just move forward. And I think it allows me to have compassion for people who struggle. So for me, my identity used to be very much like I'm a doctor, but I've got this hidden thing. Whereas you and I've talked before, you know, my faith has been very important to me. So just learning that I'm whole, I'm loved, And yes, my body isn't perfect, but I have a body. Just these little things that I've learned that this is the way I'm made and I can use all these for helping others. They're part of my purpose in life. And just seeing it more from that perspective, that's how it's been really helpful. Yeah. And I really do think it's something I needed to come to terms with. So when I first started my weight management program and was still struggling with my own weight, I was very hesitant to speak about my own experiences. And I never spoke about the Wendy's French fry thing (laughs) that I talk about a lot now. 
And yet I really think being okay with our imperfections, because we're never going to be perfect, even though we strive hard, but we're never going to be perfect. Being okay with it and sharing it, I think really can actually help people. It's why I've shifted to, I think even early in the podcast, I didn't share a lot of those details. And yet I've shifted that way because I see that it matters for people to hear and know that they're not alone. And I think it's true for my obesity medicine patients too, to know that no matter how bad it seems that things have gotten for them or how bad a particular binge is or whatever, there's other people that also are working on it, I think is huge. I completely agree. And I think if I was coming at obesity medicine, never having any issues, for one, I probably wouldn't have nearly as much compassion as I do, but also just maybe not relatable. Patients might've been like, what does she know? She doesn't even understand what I'm going through. Whereas here, I completely do. I get it. Let's figure this out. And there is help and we can get there. So I feel like that does make me a better physician. Yeah, I think it helps us help patients have compassion for themselves too. Because I think that, and again, I don't know because I've never not had a weight issue. I think I, I would assume somebody who has never had it might find it harder to understand the true level of like the the shame and the blame and, the, you know, all that that our patients and, and ourselves can get into when we struggle with this sort of stuff. What advice would you give somebody? So if a physician's listening to this who identifies with having binge eating and is really struggling, what advice would you give them? I guess I'd say you're not alone. And it's not really your fault. (laughs) There's a lot of things going against us, which kind of get us into this habit. And so some of the advice is, you know, not restricting, because that's what kind of sets you up for more of a binge. So eating enough just to nourish your body, take care of yourself, what your body needs, really having compassion with yourself. And then also not making it mean that there's anything wrong with you, that this is just normal biology there's been a glitch. We can figure this out. There is help. And it doesn't have to be this way for the rest of your life. I think that's really important that it doesn't have to be this way. Because when you're in the depth of it, I think it's very hard to believe that it'll ever be different. Like you're stuck and feel very disempowered when you're in the depth of binge eating. So if you can just believe that one thing that it won't always be like this, I think that can be really, really powerful. Yeah. And I think once... I've had a few tastes of freedom. That's what's even more powerful than those urges. Like, wow, this can actually happen for real, that I'm not going to have to deal with these urges for the rest of my life. And that has been so freeing. Mm -hmm. I would say that I think the first thing is just some self-compassion that we've talked about. I would also say to think of, getting through it as almost a science experiment and observe yourself thoroughly and consistently and figure out exactly what your triggers are, what helps you, what support you need, and call on your professionals to help you. Reach out for the support that you need, talk to your primary care doctor, find an obesity specialist, find a life coach, ask for the help that you need, and realize that help's available and recovery from this is possible. I would say it's not a linear path. There are ups and downs. And those times when you're down are temporary. You feel like you're always going to feel like this. You're 
always going to have this behavior, but just understanding that it's temporary. All of our moods are temporary. Things change moment to moment and you can create better moments by figuring out, you know, doing a deep dive. Yeah. And I think that's a really good point. And I was going to ask you guys that question of what does recovery look like? Because again, it's really easy to think you either binge eat or you don't. And it's like, when you fix it, it's a switch. But like you were just saying, Jen, it's a nonlinear path. I was thinking about it this morning. I think it becomes more about like course correction, kind of to use your analogy about the vehicle, that it's not so much that you never have fluctuations, but the fluctuations become a little bit smaller and your correction becomes a little bit quicker. So they don't go quite as long. Would you guys agree with that description or do you have a different experience? I absolutely agree. I I wish I could have said, okay, once I realized how to allow an urge that I never binged again, but that's not how it's been. But like you said, it's very much not nearly as high for the highs and lows. It's much more even and still wavy, but not peaks and valleys. Absolutely. I think just understanding those habits that help me stay on track, allow for those micro corrections and realizing that um, I get to choose what my baseline is. I get to choose how I want to eat, what I want to do, how I want to think, how I want to kind of move through my day. And realizing that if I slip, that I can just get back to what is normal for me, you know, nourish my body in a way that feels good for me. It may not be everyone else's plan, (laughs) but realizing that you can make that choice. You can have recovery if you choose. What non-food things are important for you in kind of managing your binge eating, like your recovery? I'd say a lot of really simple things. So planning food out, making sure that my home is really well stocked with foods that I like to eat. I follow somewhat of a lower carb plan. So making sure I have a lot of good quality proteins and lots of non-starchy veggies that are easily prepared. Uh, So on my days off from work, I make sure that I've done that food prep ahead of time. And then also having easy things to make when I'm tired and work has been very busy and everybody, it's the end of the week or something like that. So I think just having a really simple plan. The second thing is journaling and journaling and I have had a love-hate relationship. I think nobody enjoys doing it, but I derive such good benefits from being able to journal when I'm not feeling my best. So it's always nice to have this beautiful journal that says all these amazing things when you're feeling good. But when you're not feeling your best, I think that's the time to really put pen to paper and sort out what you're feeling. And I've noticed that just if I don't feel like doing it in the moment of when I'm feeling bad or when I'm having a lot of urges or have consumed a lot of carbs, then the next best time to do it is just the very next day to get back and pen to paper and sort out what happened and not just ignoring those falls, but really delving into them and figuring out, okay, what was going on for me that day? And why did I feel the way I felt? And why did I feel that food was the answer? And what can I do differently next time? How can I make a different choice? Exercise and sleep are the last two. I mean, exercise has been priceless for me. 
It's not about weight loss um, because having this obesity certification helps you understand that exercise is great for weight maintenance, but not as much for weight loss. But it is the benefits on mood and health and energy levels have been completely invaluable for me. And then sleep. Like Netflix is never the answer. The answer is always just getting into bed early. Sometimes that means putting the kids down and getting right into bed and just going to bed early because it's been a tiring day. I think mine are very similar to yours, Jen. I think exercise is great. Again, not for weight loss. It's actually what my husband and I do together to connect in the evenings. And so we exercise together. And then sleep is really helpful. I'm pretty particular about my sleep. And oftentimes my kids will tuck me into bed because they're a little bit older now and they like to stay up later, even though it's important for them too. And then journaling, you know, I had said before, my faith is important. So a lot of that looks more like prayer and writing down my prayers and such, and just being able to look at it through that way too. And then just talking with my husband and other support people too, not for accountability necessarily, but just to know that they're there. They love me no matter what. And we can get through this together. How was a coaching approach different like from the other ways that you tried to manage the binge eating? And how did it benefit you? Coaching is very action oriented. And I think other things that I've tried in the past have focused more on delving into the emotion, but not understanding that thought model that you teach. I think coaching it take some of the heaviness out of the habit of binging and it's just very solutions focused. So for me, it feels like coaching versus other methods gives you a lot of power, a lot of choice, and it kind of helps clean up your thinking. People who have emotional or binge eating are stuck in these repetitive thought loops that they can't get out of. And at some point, I think we've all felt, gosh, well, I'm just going to be like this forever. This is just how I am. And nothing is going to change that. But coaching allows you to change that because it allows you to replace those types of thoughts with thoughts that serve you better. If I do misstep, then my thought is just, okay, well, I'm going to look at what happened figure out what was going on, and then move on and learn from it. With coaching, it's not somebody telling me what to do. It's actually me coming up with my own solutions based on my life, my experiences, and my goals, which I have to say is pretty uncomfortable, like trying to do that with somebody watching me. But it's really helpful. Like, okay, so I can you know, you'll ask a question or whatever. Why do you think that happened? Or what do you think you could do? And being able to sit there and generate my own solutions, that's what makes it stick. I know kind of what's best and I can figure this out, but I just need somebody else to help me see what my brain is doing. Like when it's my own thoughts, I really can't sort it out as well. But having somebody else say like, this is what I see, this is what you're thinking, just being able to see that And then having me come up with my own solutions, I feel like that was the most helpful. Mm -hmm. I believe that's true for any form of weight loss or managing stress eating or anything is we're used to it being external that somebody tells us what to do. But if you can generate whatever you're doing internally, that can make a huge difference on what it feels like and how easy it is to continue and stay focused and stay committed. And also, I'm not rebelling against anybody else. Like, these are my own ideas. And so it's not like I can rebel against anybody. It's myself. Yeah, absolutely. Though sometimes we still try. 
I think that's that sneaky thought. They're like, oh, you're fine. Don't worry about that. Any last thoughts or tips that you would want to say before we wrap up? I'd probably say that losing weight and recovering from binge or emotional eating are not always synonymous and they may not always go together. I find that just focusing on those healthy habits and that self-care is more important and lays the groundwork prior to the weight loss. And I think that is a really, really hard concept and has taken me several years to understand that just moving past the binges and moving past wanting to use food to solve other issues in a person's life is really central. It's the first step, I think, before you focus on the weight loss. And then second comes, okay, well, I've solved that or I've improved that. Now, how do I make my body efficiently shed what it doesn't need? That sometimes comes a lot later. And there may be some regain and in the meantime, in that process. But I think that was a very important learning point for me that the two were not synonymous. I think that's really important to know and hear because it's often you want to do both, but then you get stuck into the binge restrict because then you go too restrictive to try to do those together. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for coming on. I know that this is a very personal topic. And so for both of you to come on and speak openly about it, I really appreciate it. And I know that there's people listening that will have found this really helpful. All right. Thank you, Siobhan. That was such a great, open and honest conversation about what it's like to live with binge eating disorder. And again, I want to pass on my sincere gratitude to Andrea Jen for taking the time and for willing to be vulnerable and discuss openly something that can feel very difficult to talk about in public in the hopes that they will help other people out there. I'm hoping that you got a lot of helpful information from that conversation. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email me at info at weightsolutionsforphysicians.ca. And remember to get your name on the waitlist for Stress Eating SOS at weightsolutionsforphysicians.ca forward slash SOS. The doors are opening April 1st. This is the last group that we'll be doing before the fall. So if you don't get on on this one, your next chance is going to be in the fall. So make sure you get your name in on the wait list and check it out when the doors open on April 1st. I'd love to have you in. And as I said at the beginning, I am working really hard to make sure this addresses needs for both physicians who stress eat, but also physicians who have binge eating to make it the resource that you need and that you've probably been looking for. All right, we will talk to you next week. Have a fantastic week. Bye-bye, guys.